Welcome back to our latest episode of our podcast featuring China with your hosts, me, Eric, and me, Alex. Wrestling's soon to start, and I can't wait to attend. Yeah, and we just had our first games of water polo. My team and I just won our first two games. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Today's episode is about China's authoritarian regime, its rise to power, and its hostility within. Today we'll be, we will be covering the Chinese Party, or Chinese Communist Party, I should say, uh, Xi Jinping, and anything between. Take it away, Eric. To understand China, we first need to understand its rulers, its parties, and its bleak past. In the early 1900s, China was a nation in decline. It went from a global superpower for practically an entire millennium to a state mostly controlled by foreign powers. This was thanks in part due to the two opium wars it had with Britain, which ended with China losing some of its ports, and also the Boxer Rebellion, which led to China's dynasties growing even weaker and an increase in foreign influence in China. China was then forced to sign the Boxer Protocol, widely considered to be an unequal treaty. This treaty severely weakened China. Apart from the 1,800-18,000 to tons of pure silver they had to distribute to foreign countries with interest, they also lost their ability to import arms and ammunition for two years, were forced to destroy many forts, weren't allowed to place soldiers in a multitude of places, and had to punish all boxers and government officials involved with the boxers. All this led to the total destruction of China as a global superpower. Following the Boxer Rebellion was a revolution that occurred in 1911, which called for the eradication of the Qin Dynasty so that China could become a republic. It succeeded and China gained a party, known as the Kiaomatang Party, also known as the KMT, led by, led by Sun Yat-sen. At the time, this was the most powerful party, but another power, uh, party was also formed. It was the Chinese Communist Party, also known as the CCP, and would soon become the most powerful party. But we aren't there just yet. After the fall of the Qin Dynasty, the KMT was the most powerful party, but the CCP wasn't far behind. The two parties fought for influence over mainland China for decades before the KMT started to run out of gas. This ended up being right around the end of the Second World War. But the KMT's true fall from grace started much earlier than that with the man they elected premier, Yan Shikei. He received this position as a reward due to his participation in the toppling of the Qin Dynasty. But Yan Shikei soon began to abuse his powers. He overrode the constitution and abused his powers to the point that the leaders in the KMT staged an attempt on his life. But this attempt ended up failing, and most of the leaders were sent out into exile and fled, leaving Yan Shikei to name himself the Emperor of China. While this was going on, these exiled members of the KMT began to form a revolutionary parties, but these were very scattered and <laughs> had not too much success. That was until Sun Yat-sen came along. He united these separated and scattered revolutionary parties into a party known as the Kiaomatang of China, and he returned to China after the death of Yan Shikei. Yan's death led to the fracturing of China into a warlord fight over territory, and Sun spent the rest of his life working to reunite China from this shattered country back into this superpower. A few years prior to his death, he allowed the CCP to join him, and together they formed the first united front. When Sun died, Chiang Kai-shek took over and eventually united the majority of China. Then came the incident of April 12, 1927, 
in which the conservatives of the KMT led a purge on all communist elements in China. This led to a massive split of the KMT, and it also dissolved the United Front with the CCP that they had going for the last five or so years. This little incident would later be known as one of the things that ended up sparking the Chinese Civil War. And that civil war was fought between the CCP and the KMT for control over mainland China. It took place between 1927 and 1949, and it was divided into two separate phases, with an interlude between. The first phase was fought between 1927 and 1937. This was when the United Front collapsed due to Chiang Kai-shek's purging of the communist elements in China, and when most of the CCP were fled, or fled into the northern parts of China while the KMT took over pretty much everything else. The KMT would also adopt the title of a nationalist while the CCP was often called communists. Up next was the interlude. This lasted from 1937 to 1945. This happened during the Japanese invasion of the country during the Second Sino-Japanese War. <laughs> I guess the saying nothing brings you together like a common enemy really is true, because the CCP and the KMT ended up creating the Second United Front during a civil war during this interlude. But a few years later, and that uneasy alliance deteriorated back into a war against each other. But now it was the CCP's turn to take the lead. During the war against the uh, Japanese, the CCP was saving their troops and even hiring more troops while the KMT was losing most of their best soldiers and generals. But this late into the civil war, it wasn't just between the CCP and the KMT. The United States and Soviet Union would, of course, get involved. The Soviets sided with the CCP for obvious reasons, and the KMT and the United States joined forces. Both of these global superpowers at that time spent millions on airlifting war supplies to help their respective side win. All that support accumulated into one decisive battle, the Battle of Laoshi. This battle also helped elevate the reputation of Mao Zedong and the CCP. He convinced Lin Biao to fully commit in his final attack on one of the key points in the battle, the Jizu. With this point secured, the CCP was now able to break out of its northern prison and sweep across the rest of China. The outcome of the Battle of Laishi was a clear victory for the CCP, and from here on out, the CCP would remain the strongest party. It was all up here from there for them. Three years after that battle, the CCP pulled out a win, and Mao created the People's Republics of China. Much of the hatred of communism was diminished now. It was still existent, but scattered. Most of the hatred was concentrated in Taiwan, because that's where all of the KMT members still alive after that civil war fled to. A total of 2 million government leaders, soldiers, and businessmen all fled there. And in the meantime, the Republic of China was filled with communists, and leading them all was Mao. Alright. And I'm here to talk about Mao. After, Mao. after Mao gained control by taking the power of his predecessors in 1953, he began some major reforms on the country. Due to China being a underdeveloped uh, country due to all these civil wars and world wars uh, going upon, it, it was a very agricultural-based industry. So Mao uh, decided to take these five-year reforms and adopt the, the philosophy of the iron rice bowl, the iron rice bowl, sorry, 
uh, where from birth to death you will be taken care of by the government. And then once into this, Mao attempted to start some quality of life reforms, almost like the glasnost of the Chinese era, but un unfortunately for the Chinese people, this was all a ruse. Um, Mao did this to see if he if he could find any political opponents and people who would speak out, and then begin to exile and murder them. Uh, la later, this was known as the Hundred Flowers Campaign, where he began taking freedoms away from the commoners of China. After this campaign, China had some major problems with its industrial fronts. In terms of steel, they had none. They just came out of World War II and did not really undergo an industrial revolution like the Western world did. Therefore, Mao believed, believed that he should, he should uh, have the commoners make the steel. So he made every single peasant in China a steel worker forcing them to have a furnace in their backyard where they can smelt metal for the government. Kind of sounds like an idiotic idea, right? Yeah, that's that is pretty dumb. Yeah, it's a, and dumb it was. It was an overall failure, wasting natural resources and wasting time for, of the much-needed industrialization. So Mao thought of a different way to leap ahead. <laughs> Under Mao, China underwent a, a quote-unquote second leap forward. And overall, this leap forward was a disaster. Mao collectivized the farmers' fields and caused farmers to grow a certain amount of crops and, and give most, if not all, to the government. This caused uh, farmers to lie about the yields of their crops, uh, due to Mao being very severe to people who don't comply, as we found out with the Hundred Flowers campaign, and caused millions of people to starve. An estimate, yeah, at, at after the end of the second leap forward, an estimated 30 million people starved to death. Mao did not see it as his problem, though. He saw, he saw this as a problem of others. Mao then launched the Four Pests campaign, which called for the eradication of rodents, sparrows, mosquitoes, and flies, ultimately doing nothing except uh, throwing the national, er, national eco ecosystem out of balance. Overall, Mao's reign of China lasted until 1976, where Mao then died and was replaced by Deng Xiaoping. Deng was a, a revolutionary. He was the Gorbachev of China. He allowed more free speech and trade in society, and short, shortly after, then became the supreme leader. He implemented uh, the ideals of socialis socialism with Chinese characteristics, which included the idea of, we don't care if a cat is black or white as long as it catches mice where the government of China doesn't care if its people are making money in one way or another, as long as they are having successful economic growth. Deng also made refor reforms within democracy, setting uh, so-called democracy walls, spreading the ideals of uh, free speech, similar to how Gorbachev spread his ideals with glasnost. Dong additionally made reforms with, within governments, allowing the supreme leader to only serve for a limited amount of time. And ultimately, uh, this was seen as one of the modern-day founders of China. But this was only short-lived. Current-day China has become a clone of its, of its Mao era, uh, with, with the government slowly encroaching on civil liberties and civil societies. In current day, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping 
has allowed the, the persecution of uh, Uyghur Im immigrants, which is an ethnic minority in China. As stated by the, the BBC, several, several countries, including the US, Canada, and the Netherlands, have accused China of committing genocide, defined by international convention as the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. It follows, it reports that, as well as interning Uyghurs in, in camps, China has been forcibly mass sterilizing Uyghur women to suppress the population and separating Uyghur children from their families. Well, that sounds horrible. Indeed it does, but this is not China's first offense at suppression. Within Hong Kong, the Chinese government wanted to gain even more control over its neighboring territory, where China owns the territory, but it's considered to be a one country, two policies kind of thing, where Hong Kong is a more democratic, idealized China. But the Communist Party, the leaders of China, wanted to pick the leaders of Hong Kong and basically got the AOK -okay from, from the legislative branch to do so. Whereas the people of Hong Kong disapproved and then uh, showed their concerns by marching in the Umbrella Movement. Once again, I spoke, as spoken by the BBC, uh, that demonstra demonstrators brought uh, to Hong Kong, or demonstrators brought Hong Kong to a virtual standstill in 2014 when they demanded the rights uh, for the territory to pick its own leaders. For many years, uh, Hong Kong was, par was part of the UK, but that changed until at, at 1997 when the control of the city was handed over to China. Uh, protests uh, started in reaction to a decision made by China that would allow elections in Hong Kong in 2017, but only a form of pre-approved candidates by the Chinese government. Tens of thousands of people, many of whom were students at the time, uh, then camped in streets and demanded uh, the, the right for fully free leadership elections. This was then called the Umbrella Movement because protesters would use umbrellas and bring umbrellas with them to protect themselves from, from tear gas and mace used by the police. So is there anything else that they've done? Yes, indeed. China loves uh, spying on people in a digital sense. Would you like to continue about that? <laughs> sure thing. China nowadays has set up something known as the Great Firewall of China. It's able to block whatever sites the CCP wants to be blocked because of a denigrated group of around 40,000 individuals, usually consisting of computer programmers and police officers, who all make sure that internet activity is regulated and blocked if it goes against the CCP. This firewall blocks many popular sites like Facebook and Twitter, and thus it's been able to directly affect the population of China by telling them what they should see as important and unimportant and what can and can't be criticized. A perfect example of this is the Tiananmen Square protests and also the previously mentioned persecution of the Uyghurs. This is deemed unimportant by the government and is very hard to find any information on in China. And also the outlawing of any kind of anti-CCP groups on the internet is a pretty obvious bias when it comes to the CCP and the internet. But it wasn't always like this. In the years before Xi Jinping became president in 2012, the internet had begun to afford the Chinese people 
an unprecedented level of transparency and power to communicate. Popular bloggers, some of whom advocated bold social and political reforms, commanded tens of millions of followers. Chinese citizens used virtual private networks, also known as VPNs, to access blocked websites, and citizens banded together to online to hold authorities accountable for their actions through virtual petitions and organizing physical protests. In 2010, a survey of 300 Chinese officials revealed that 70% were anxious about whether mistakes or details about their private life might be leaked online. Of the almost 6,000 Chinese citizens also surveyed, 88 believed it was good for officials to feel the society, at least according to The Guardian. So it wasn't all like that, but yeah. China nowadays has been encroaching on many civil societies and civil liberties. You said it best when you said it was going back to its Mao days. As we conclude, we have delved into the depths of the tyrant of China. We have discovered many things the Chinese government have, have done. The, the great economic growth and uh, complete overhaul of the government in modern times. But we have also seen a lack of care from many sides. The government has attempted to gain sole control over some minorities and, and democratic territories. And the influence of China does not end there. China is, a, is the largest growing economy in the world, growing about 10% every year. And soon, you'll be hard-pressed to find a job in the world that doesn't act, interact with them in some way. Ultimately, you should look at a country for what they have done both good and bad. And China has done a plethora of both. So, in the end, what do you think about China? I think that China is a very strong superpower of the world and is a force to be reckoned with but overall i believe that their their people are not that bad but i do believe that the government structure is very flawed i agree with you 100 percent. the culture there is great the people there are amazing the government is the only really bad thing about it you shouldn't judge people based on where they grew up, but you should, ju you, I guess, judge them based on their traditions. The only people that you can really judge based on the government structure is the governments. And so. with that, we leave you with some awe-inspiring words. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time.